I was gonna sing a straight power song, but I think a thank you song is more appropriate, so I'm gonna give it a shot. Oh man, what a beautiful song by Mikey B, my Anishinaabe brother, came all the way out from Arizona to visit us up in Ohlone Territory, uh, San Jose, California. Um, man, beautiful, beautiful song, Mikey. So uh, how we doing, everyone? You're listening to an all-new episode of the 7 Generation Podcast. Uh, again, that song was by my good friend, No Gas, Mikey B. Um, we held an event up in San Jose, which is Ohlone territory up in the Bay Area. Um, haven't really been out much in the last 13 months or so, um, but we were able to put together a fundraiser for the Indian Health Center of uh, Santa Clara Valley. Uh, they have some youth services that they provide to our indigenous uh, community there, so we wanted to help them out and raise some money for them. So we were able to raise uh, $7,000 for the center so that way they could help out our Native American youth. We had people who came from Arizona, Southern California, Nevada, Washington, and New York uh, to participate in the event. And so we were able to present the center with some money. And that was just really, really cool. So anyway, shout out to the Red Rum First Nations Motorcycle Club. Um, again, Mike uh, up in Dublin and Mark in Salinas, you guys really did a great job making everybody feel welcome and making sure that this event um, uh, was able to take place. So again, much love and respect for everybody who came out. Um, just want to say thank you as well to Anasita. It was really great to work with you. Um, our job was easy. All we had to do is just raise the money. You do the hard work um, each and every day, working in the community, um, being in the trenches, helping out our indigenous uh, people. So I uh, appreciate everything that you did for us. Um, the center did this really wonderful um, event. It was outdoors, social distancing, um, with the help of uh Jake and Mikey, uh, they were the singers and they sang some beautiful songs. And anyway, it was just a very inspirational, um, we haven't been able to get together because of the pandemic. And so many of our powwows, our gatherings have either been canceled or they've been moved 
to a Zoom, which is it's just not the same. So it just felt good to get out, uh, be around friends and family, and be able to give uh, the people that you care about a hug, um, and also do something in the community. Um, but again, without Anacita's help um, and the uh, Red Rum First Nations Motorcycle Club, the event wouldn't have happened. So um, outstanding job. I also want to thank uh, the Pacific Savages uh, MC and my good friend Aloni uh, for helping out as well. Uh, he really came through for us, brother. And, um, you know, it was great to spend time with Einer and to see Buddha and uh, to be able to hang out for a minute. Can't wait to see you guys again. So much love and respect to the Pacific Savages Motorcycle Club. They're out there doing good things working in their own communities as well, protecting the Asian and Pacific Islander community. Um, I have a lot of, uh, a lot of love, a lot of respect for the work that they do. And, um, if you ever see them out there, man, go and uh, say hello. Um, I wanted to mention my buddy, Eric Escovito. He just finished his master's degree in art over at Fresno state. So congratulations, my man. Um, that's pretty dope. Um, I was really excited to hear that um, you had finished your master's degree and that um, um, you're kind of on your way to, you know, becoming a, you know, college professor and uh, it's pretty dope. So um, anyway, man, congratulations. It's my little bro right there. Um, If you, I live in the Fresno area. If you ever are out at Fresno City College, I know right now with the pandemic, it's really hard to get out there. But if you're ever there, go check out Yokuts Plaza. The plaza um, was uh, created by uh, Professor John Cho, Cultural Studies and Women's Studies, uh, myself. But it was really um, Eric Escovito who came up with the design for Yokuts Plaza. So without his help, it uh, wouldn't have been possible uh, to make, um, that, that project come to fruition. So, um, anyway, check it out. It's a really dope area. And and hopefully in the future we can add, we added benches, uh, to the plaza and they're really beautiful benches. The monument's beautiful, but all the designs come from Eric Escovito. Um, also just want to say congratulations to, uh, uh, David Alvarez, I heard he got accepted to the PhD program up in uh, UC Davis. That's pretty cool, my man. Pretty cool. So, um, haven't had a chance to talk to you, but when I see you in person, I'll congratulate you. Um, but anyway, uh, getting into these master's degree programs and these PhD programs, not easy. Um, you know, staying in school all these years isn't easy. You know, you often you're operating with very little, um, money and it's it's hard in terms of you know if you're having to work and you have family you have responsibilities can be a financial burden as well Uh, but these young men are um you know former students of mine and uh now they're um you know my colleagues so it's pretty cool i i really um have a lot of respect for these two young men. I just want to say hello as well to uh, Dominique Carrillo and Deborah. I hope you all are doing well. Um, my man, uh, Nick in Arizona. Um, I was out there at a jiu-jitsu tournament uh, this past uh, weekend, and I was only um, in Arizona for like a day and a half. 
But he came out and visited me with the family and gave me some gifts. Anyway, that's my Hajan family. Um, anyway, so I really appreciate just coming out. It was just a short visit. Um, but man, they came all the way out of their way just to, to visit for just a few minutes. And it made me feel really good. And, uh, I love the stuff that you gave me anyway. I uh, can't wait to get back out to Arizona again, and visit you guys. So, um, so the topic of the day is actually inspired by one of my students, uh, Victoria Garcia. She's, uh, in one of my classes, um, this semester, I was reading one of the discussions that we had online in regards to uh, indigenous people and mascots. And uh, one of the students had mentioned that, you know, the warrior mascot, how that is um, inspirational. It's it's honoring uh, to um, indigenous people. In other words, that native people should feel honored by um, that warrior mascot. So I wanted to do... Uh, this episode um, on stereotyping and Native American mascots and kind of give people a deeper explanation why many Native Americans, not all, but myself included, uh, don't agree that mascots, at least indigenous mascots, should be used. Um, recently here in Fresno, the Fresno High School, um, previously called Fresno High Warriors, had a Native American mascot. And um, a petition was put together by Jamie Nelson, who is Yokuts and Mono. Um, and um, from there, a movement was started. And they were able to go to the school board. And the high school eventually decided it was in the best interest of the community to change the mascot. Um, and so they basically did away with their native mascot. Since the the racial reckoning um, of 2020 with the public murder of uh, George Floyd, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about institutionalized racism and systemic racism and so forth. And we've seen a lot of positive things happen. The Washington team dropped their logo they dropped their name, which was the most offensive one, um, at least for myself. Um, and I've had uh, several people ask me about it, and I always tell them, look, um, there's just no way that that name is okay. Daniel Snyder, the owner of the team, uh, said for years that he would never, I think he even like put it out there in, um, in a email or in his Twitter account, I don't know, that I will never ever change the name. And of course he did. Um, and this is a positive thing. We have a lot of work to do because, you know, we have some other um, uh, teams like your uh, Kansas City Chiefs, the Atlanta Braves, and I'll kind of get into why uh, maybe it's time to do away with this stuff. But anyway, this episode right here is inspired by Victoria Garcia and I wanted to, uh, you know, dig a little deeper here so I wanted to start off with a story that I heard from a TED Talk given by Greg Dill, who is a Pyramid Lake Paiute. So I'm going to go ahead and start off with the story and kind of try to connect it to uh, the mascot issue. So when he was giving his TED Talk, he was talking about uh, his art and um, how his art 
hasn't really been accepted by these Western institutions. And um, he had one of his uh, childhood photos that he had shown, and he had titled it um, Prairie and then the N-word. I don't want to say the the N-word, but basically um, that's what the title of his artwork was. And he explained that the reason why he did it is when he was a kid, he was called that, a prairie, uh, and then the N-word. Um, and um, he explained um, you know, how that affected him as a child um, and um, how he went to an all-white school and how he was stereotyped and, um, and how that affected his mindset um, deeply. Uh, and then he went on to tell another story, and this is the one that really, really hit home for me. Um, he was talking to a, a friend of his from another neighboring Paiute tribe, and he relayed to him a story about uh, the boarding school system. If you don't know anything about the history of Native American boarding schools, you got to definitely learn about this. Um, but anyway, Native children, an estimated, you know, 50 to 100,000 Native kids in Canada and the United States were taken away from their families and sent off to boarding schools where they were basically forced to assimilate. In these boarding schools, all this abuse happened, everything from sexual assault to um, uh, severe beatings, uh, brainwashing, and you name it. Well, this one story that was related to him was about this boy. He was brought into the school and... Um, when they would bring these kids in, they would douse them and in some cases like DDT, you know, they thought these kids had lies so they would cut off their hair and they would try to, um, uh, basically change them from what they felt was something that was uncivilized and savage-like and beast-like to something that was more civilized Kill the Indian, save the man. That was the mantra. Again, kill the Indian, save the man. And this kid was brought in, and apparently uh, they started to clean him up. <clears throat> and I guess the the one of the ladies who was you know cleaning up this kid noticed that his elbows were a little darker, which is very common for people who have a little more melanin in their skin. And so she thought it was dirt. So I guess they were scrubbing his elbows and his knees to the point to where he was bleeding. Later on that evening, when he went to bed, he was crying because he was in pain. And all the kids heard him crying. And after a while, somebody came to check on him, and they saw that his the sheets were soiled in blood. And so they took this kid away. And um, the other children could hear this kid being beaten. And... Um, Throughout the evening, this child was was um, being abused. Well, the next day, uh, when they woke up, uh, the kids never saw this child again. And um, nobody knows what happened to him. Now, what's the point of the story? The sad part of indigenous history here in the United States is most people have no clue about the suffering and the pain 
that indigenous people have experienced. When people think about us, uh, they think about us in terms of stereotypes, right? Um, as opposed to the reality of what it was like to be indigenous here in this country, in the, the entire Western Hemisphere, really after 1492. And Native people um, experienced one of the worst um, demographic disasters in human history. We're talking about um, hundreds of thousands and millions of, actually millions of people who perished uh, during the conquest of America, the invasion of the Americas. And many of these people died of diseases uh, that they didn't have any immunities for. Um, many of these people were killed um, uh, through, again, centuries of warfare, centuries of force removal. Many people starved to death. Uh, many people committed suicide as a result of living under colonial rule. And most Americans really don't know that story. They don't really know the real history or they think, well, these things happened, you know, years and years and years ago. But the reality is, is that that story that was told was relayed to this man by somebody who's still alive today. This is a story that this person remembers. And I've talked to survivors at the boarding school system and they all tell very, very similar stories, stories of abuse, sexual assault, rape, and even murder. Some of these boarding school systems had a death rate of around 50%. These kids would come into these schools, and in some cases, they would um, contract some disease, um, and they wouldn't get medical treatment, and they would die. And just imagine you know, the parents, the pain of the parents of who had their kids taken away. Um, and then your child is gone, and, and you don't know where they're at. You don't know if they're okay. And imagine never seeing your child again and never knowing what happened to them. This is the story of so many indigenous families here. And this pain, um, this wound, some people call it a soul wound or a spirit wound, it's still with us today. Um, and we're still recovering from not just the effects of, of uh, years and years of colonialism, but um, the ongoing colonialism that we've experienced even in the last you know, 50 years, 100 years. So, and I'd mentioned this in my, one of my previous uh, podcasts, um, you know, the Indian wars are still ongoing. Native people are still fighting today. We're fighting to protect our rights. We're fighting to protect our culture, to protect our languages, to raise our children to feel good about themselves. Okay, so how does this relate to stereotypes? Well, when people think about us, they don't think about the boarding school system. They don't think about the centuries of abuse, the centuries of, of dishonor, right? The broken treaties, uh, the damage, the psychic damage that was done to indigenous people, whether it be the lack of resources, being forced to live in, in concentration camps, having our sacred sites uh, destroyed, being forced to convert to Christianity, being forced to convert uh, to uh, become an English speaker, um, all of these things have really done a tremendous amount of psychic and spiritual damage to our communities, and we're still recovering from this. And it doesn't help that the general public knows nothing about our story, knows nothing about our history. It doesn't help at all. But what makes matters worse is the dehumanization 
right, that is still ongoing via stereotypes. The reality is, is that that warrior archetype is kind of a social construction. Well, not kind of, it is a social construction. And it was socially constructed by non-Indigenous people. It's not our construction. I mean, most Indigenous communities throughout North America didn't even engage in any type of sustained warfare. So that that warrior stereotype has been socially constructed by non-Indigenous people. And there's a whole history behind that. I don't want to get too much into it, but you've seen it in film. You see it, see it in print. And that's what typically people think about. So when they think about us, they don't think about the diversity of indigenous people, the fact that we spoke um, hundreds of different languages and had these really diverse customs and ceremonies. And they, they don't really think of these things, right? They don't think about us as being these incredible um, engineers and agriculturalists and um, these amazing uh, um, uh, artisans. You know, they tend to think of us in terms of stereotypes. And this is incredibly problematic, especially when our issues, even today here in 2021, continue to be marginalized by the general public. And so um, I wanted to talk a little bit about that, but what I really want to start with here is the definition of a stereotype, kind of explain what that means sociologically, and then we can kind of get into more, you know, how this stuff is damaging, not just to indigenous people, but also to non-indigenous people as well. So um, a stereotype is an exaggerated or distorted generalization about an entire category of people that does not acknowledge individual variation. So an entire category of people, we, we could be talking about a racial group, an ethnic group, um, uh, a specific gender, as well as all kinds of stereotypes about women, stereotypes about certain religious groups, and so forth. Okay, stereotypes form the basis of prejudice and discrimination. So, um, it's important to remember that stereotypes are 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 taught. You're not born stereotyping any particular group you this is a learned behavior okay um and it it stems from um in some cases from just being a lazy thinker right it's easier to maybe stereotype an entire group to look at them as being essentially this or that as opposed to looking at an individual as an individual as another human being but it also stems from the fact that um uh, there is a particular purpose behind these stereotypes. And, there, and, and that's what I want to get into here. So the intention um, um, behind stereotypes as they pertain to indigenous peoples really to justify the conquest and the invasion of the, of the Americas. So stereotypes have been used and still continue to be used to justify the mistreatment of indigenous people historically and even to justify the mistreatment of indigenous people today. Maybe ju- maybe justify wouldn't be the right word, but at least to ignore the mistreatment of Native Americans, the ongoing mistreatment, the ongoing human rights violations that we continue to see each and every day in our communities, whether it be 
the treaty rights that were working to protect um, our water rights, uh, protecting our sacred sites, um, attempting to uh, revitalize our culture. All of these these issues often go completely ignored by mainstream America. And the stereotypical thinking that most Americans have about indigenous communities is probably the most important issue that has gone uh, uh, unaddressed. So when I think of these stereotypes, right, I don't think about something that's honoring us. I think that I think about something that is marginalizing us that deflects from the real issues that indigenous communities are dealing with each and every day. So um, what are these stereotypes? Let's just go ahead and talk about a few of them. Um, you know, the, the earliest ones were that we were savages, right? We were uncivilized. We didn't have a culture. Um, this stemmed from the fact that when the first Europeans come here, many of them are, are religious fanatics and they don't see us as um, fully human because we don't practice Christianity. We don't dress like Europeans. We don't behave like Europeans. Our our way of life and the way that we think about the world is completely different. I'd always tell people, say, you know, the the um, encounter between Europeans and indigenous people was a clash of cultures. You had two different mindsets, right? Two different completely views of the land, of resources. So the uncivilized savage stereotype, right? That's one. Uh, you have the vanishing race, right? Where our culture is disappearing. I've had people tell me that, well, you, you know, indigenous culture is dead. Um, no, it's not dead. Indigenous culture is very much alive and well. Um, our culture is changing. It's just like any other culture. Cultures are not static. Um, we are not frozen in time. And that's another problem with the stereotype, right? It gives people a particular perception of us. The reality is, is that indigenous people today are very, very diverse. Some of us are very traditional and may speak our language and practice our customs. And there are some people who are very much assimilated. There's some people who are both, right? They're assimilated and they love their culture. And there are some native people who don't know a lot about their culture, um, so that's another one. We're this vanishing race and we're unable to survive in Western society. I would say there's a lot of native people who are doing pretty well. Um, there's some of us who are struggling, but there's people struggling all over the West today. Um, it's hard to make it in this world, no matter what community you come from. Uh, we're these living false fossils, right? It's, again, this is, uh, there's this, really horrible history between indigenous communities and um, anthropology. So these anthropological views of Indians that see us, see uh, native people as being, you know, stuck and frozen in time and they're trying to document our, our culture before our culture dies out and so on. So there's people who view us as, you know, these kind of living artifacts, if you will. Um, and the, the, the newer one, this is um, one that kind of started in the 90s with Dances with Wolves and films like uh, Pocahontas and Brother Bears, The Noble Savage. And that's the, 
the romantic vision of the proud Indian, right? And that's the stereotype that people often tell me I should be most proud of is the the noble savage. So you have first we were uncivilized and savage like and and so on. And now we're these noble savages and we love Mother Earth and we have uh, uh, this deep spiritual connection. We have these spiritual powers, right? And this again comes from um, this kind of shift in popular culture. If you look at the Westerns of the 40s and the 50s, um, you had this one particular view of Native Americans is rather negative. And now it's since the 1990s, it started to shift. Anyway, there's a really outstanding documentary. It's called Real Engine, um, R-E-E-L, Engine. So check it out. It's a documentary done by a Native American. It's all about um, Native Americans in film. Absolutely mind-blowing documentary, Real Engine. Check it out. Um, so those are a few stereotypes. Um, other, other common stereotypical expressions that you shouldn't say, like sit like Indians, you're acting like a bunch of wild Indians, you're an Indian giver, too many chiefs, not enough Indians. These are all stereotypical expressions that I've heard. Uh, the only good Indian is, is a dead Indian, drunken Indian, um, we're lazy. I heard that growing up a lot. You guys are lazy. You guys are drunks. You guys are biologically prone to alcoholism. No, we are not biologically prone to alcoholism. There is nothing in our biology that makes us more prone to become alcoholics. Now, there is something about um, uh, colonialism, right, and alcoholism and drug abuse and substance abuse. I mean, there is a, a connection or a correlation. There's probably like a causal cor- uh, connection between the effects of colonialism, right, on colonized people and the rise in alcohol rates and drug abuse and so forth. I mean, we have, um, we do have issues with alcohol, but it has nothing to do with our biology because that kind of lets people off the hook. It's like, well, look at those Indians, those sad, you know, drunken Indians. Um, you know, there's just something wrong with them biologically. They just can't handle their alcohol. Well, all of that is utter nonsense. And I used to hear that a lot growing up and I actually believed it growing up. I actually believed that craziness and it's just crazy talk. Um, what isn't crazy though, is the effects of colonialism and, and, and that's why these decolonization movements are so important. That's why getting rid of these stereotypical views of Indians are important for us to have control over the imagery, for us to say that we are going to explain to the world what our symbols mean. We're going to explain to the world what our culture is about. Not anthropology, not sociology, not this non-native person over here, and this non-native person over here. It's going to be us. And so... Part of this movement to do away with mascots is us taking control over the way that we are viewed and the way that we are seen. And that's kind of tough for a lot of people. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know what to say except for um, it's no longer um, the 1950s, right? We're in 2021 and you have a whole generation of of indigenous scholars and indigenous thinkers and the days where our culture is appropriated um, and and stolen without us 
uh, saying anything about it are over. And um, we're just not going to accept cultural appropriation. We're not going to accept our symbols, our art being misused. We're not going to accept uh, images that we find distasteful or disrespectful to our culture. And um, in my view, people ask me, you know, well, what's your biggest problem with uh, these mascots? And, and I mean, there's, there's quite a few problems that I have with them, but my biggest problem is the fact that you have non-indigenous people telling us that we should feel honored by these images. And what I tell people, you want to honor us, tell your government to honor our treaties. When our sacred sites are being violated, come out and support us, right? Tell your government to respect our religion. Tell your government to respect our ways. That would be honoring us. But telling us, oh, hey, look, we got a sport sporting event and we're going to have people dress up as Indians um, and put war paint on and beat on drums and do fake chants. And remember what I said, we don't chant, we sing. I mean, how is that respectful? The tomahawk chop at an Atlanta Braves game and people singing some, or chanting some uh, stereotypical song? Incredibly disrespectful. It demeans our culture. It's, it's a mockery of our culture. That's what I find most problematic. So let me just kind of give you, I guess, a list of... Um, and again, these, these stereotypes, they run deep. They go way back to the beginning of early contact. Um, we just kind of run through a couple of lists of, of films that are very stereotypical. Uh, you have Dances with Wolves. Um, that's with Kevin Cosner. He um, uh, goes out to the Great Plains, and he wants to see the Great Plains before everything changes, and he ends up, uh, quote-unquote, uh, going native, right? He... Uh, becomes a Native American. He lives with the the Lakota people, and um, you can kind of see the the white savior complex being played out. You know, he helps them. He goes and gets the guns, and he fights the white man. Um, and um, I remember when I went to go see that film as a kid, and I remember people coming out of the theater and crying, and they were just so moved by the film. And that's kind of that shift from the the savage to the noble savage. Another film, Last of the Mohicans, uh, so with Daniel Day-Lewis. Um, he uh, plays another uh, European who goes native. <laughs> um, a Little Big Man. Little Big Man is actually, it's with Dustin Hoffman. It's actually a really, really good movie. It's so stereotypical. A lot of satire in that, um, but it's just filled with terrible stereotypes. It's so demeaning to... to um, to indigenous people, uh, a man called horse, another European who goes native. Uh, these are all kind of older films. Um, and there's just so many others. I mean, I could just go on and on and on. Um, the one Indian in the cupboard, I'd always joke like, you know, really Indian in the cupboard. What about a Mexican in the cupboard? Would that be okay? Um, anyway, these, uh, these films perpetuate, uh, stereotypes, um, as they, they tend to romanticize indigenous people. So folks have often asked me, well, what are some native films that I should watch? Smoke Signals, one of my favorite films. Um, 
is actually uh, written and directed by uh, Native Americans. Uh, one of my favorite movies is Dance Me Outside. It's a Canadian film. So phenomenal. Um, gosh, I uh, love that movie. I don't have a copy of it. If somebody has a copy of it or can sh- tell me how to get a copy of it, please uh, uh, shoot me a message on Instagram or shoot me an email. It's a fantastic, fantastic movie. Dance Me Out. So one of my favorite indigenous movies. Um, Whale Riders, about the Maori, Rabbit Proof Fence. What's really interesting about a Rabbit Proof Fence, um, just a fantastic film. That movie, I'm not even going to lie, made me cry like a, like, a, like a fucking baby. I cried like a baby at the end of that movie. It was so, so hard to watch. Um, but it was about the boarding school system in Australia. And what I learned when I was working on my dissertation and I was uh, doing my research at the University of Oregon about the boarding school system and Native Americans, I learned that the Maori in New Zealand, indigenous people in Australia, the aboriginals, the aborigines also had a boarding school system there. You had a, had a boarding school system in Canada and you had thousands of indigenous kids that were taken away from their parents and shipped off to these um, assimilation schools. They were basically these brainwashing programs that they placed indigenous children in. And they, they um, not only impacted indigenous people in the United States, but all over in, um, in uh, New Zealand and Aotearoa and Australia. And um, anyway, Rabbit Proof Fence, phenomenal movie. If you have any kind of heart, you'll, it'll tear you up. Um, uh, those are really excellent films. There's plenty more, but those are the ones that come to my, my mind. Um, so, uh, let's see here. Um, so let me go through some of the rationales for retaining masks. This is, these are things that I've, I've heard before. Okay. So here's a little list of some stuff I've heard is we've always been proud of our Indians. We're proud that, uh, we have, uh, this Indian group and this is how we honor our native Americans. So that's something I've heard. Um, kind of sounds ridiculous. We're p- proud of our Indians. Look, we don't belong to anybody. We are autonomous. We are sovereign. We fought to be sovereign. Um, we're honoring Indians. You should feel honored. I, I would think that people would would finally understand is that you know the person being honored gets to decide whether or not that's an honor. If I do something to honor you and I and you tell me, well, that doesn't really honor me. Actually, you're fucking insulting me. I mean, I think the proper thing to do would be apologize and then stop forcing <laughs> um, this uh, uh, means of honoring an individual or a group or whatever onto that that group of people. So you can kind of see how absurd that sounds. Um, it's not an important issue. Or, oh, man, this is about virtue signaling. This is an example of uh, cancel culture and political correctness. When people shoot political correctness at me um, or tell me that this is not an important issue, you know, who gets to decide that? Look, our communities are, have been saying this for years that this is an important issue. And so if we say it's an issue, and we say it's problematic, people should listen. And so um, I feel like uh, um, some of this stuff is pretty easy to understand. But over the years, I've just come to the conclusion. I just think that there's just some people who don't care. 
They just don't care. I mean, I've had people say, well, I like the mascot. It's cool to me. I don't care if you don't like it. I don't care if you find it disrespectful to your culture. I don't care if um, this makes a mockery out of um, uh, your religious or spiritual views. So let's um, talk a little bit about institutionalized racism. And I mean, when you go to school, what's the point? To learn, right? To become educated, to become enlightened. And yet when youngsters go to school, they tend to not unlearn stereotypes about indigenous people, but they tend to learn additional stereotypes. I mean, this is incredible to me. So Indian logos and nicknames, what they do is they create support and maintain stereotypes that these youngsters should be unlearning. So when these cultural abuses are supported by our education system, this constitutes institutionalized racism. So the logos, along with other societal abuses, again, the marginalization of indigenous people, uh, the fact that our social problems often go completely ignored by mainstream America, you know, continue to... You know, these stereotypes continue to separate us, marginalize us, confuse us, and of course do harm to Native American kids who are often ashamed and embarrassed to be Native American. So on one hand, it's problematic because people are not learning the reality, which is convenient because I think Native Americans were kind of like that dirty little secret, right? I mean, America is often portrayed by many as this great country, land of the free, land of opportunity, land of justice. And then people learn about our history, and they're like, damn, I don't know. They begin to question this stuff. And that's why when you go to school, you don't really learn much about our history, our story. Because you might question America itself. And again, I'm not saying that this country hasn't done some great things. It has. It's also done some really horrible things as well. And that just needs to be dealt with. So I have some more um, points here I want to share with you. Um Guess here's a brief list on why American Indian stereotypes are harmful. Let's kind of sum this up. Number one, dehumanizes us. We're people. We're not a cartoon character. We're real individuals. It distorts children's perceptions of who we are. So when people learn about us, they only learn the stereotypes. 
Because number one, it dehumanizes us. Number two, it distorts children's perceptions of who we are. Number three, it devalues our sacred objects. When I see these fake feathers, these people dressed up in headdresses and war paint, I just cringe. It's so disrespectful. I couldn't imagine going to a football game and seeing people dressed up in Christian attire and carrying crucifixes and carrying Bibles. You know, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, they wave the terrible towel. Imagine them waving, you know, rosary beads. Imagine a team called, you know, the Cleveland Jews or the Cleveland Mexicans or the Cleveland Africans. Completely unacceptable, right? But yet you have the Cleveland Indians. I mean, this is absolutely insane when you think about it. When you really think about it, it's crazy. So what I like to call it is normalized racism. We're so used to seeing Native people being stereotyped that it's become normalized in our culture. So it's racism that is right there in your face and you don't even know it. I mean, I would even argue that Indian mascots really do represent the last vestiges of overt racism. I'm beginning to question that a bit more considering what's happened after uh, 2016 with the rise of Trump and just the other overt racism is kind of making a comeback. But I think most of us can recognize it, right? But it's hard to recognize it when you see a mascot. You're like, oh, that looks cool, man. Got an Indian on a horse and he's carrying a lance. And man, it looks great. It looks, you know, um, savage-like. These are really dangerous images of who we are. And the reality is, is we're just not going to take it any longer. Now, there's some Native people who don't care. There are some Native people who aren't interested in even talking about these issues. I mean, I've even had Native people tell me, like, well, I don't even have a problem with the Redskin term. Who cares? Washington Redskins, that's cool. I like the logo. And usually my response to those Native people, I'm like, well, okay, let me check this out. What if somebody came up to you off the street? When you were walking with your family, I don't know, to go out to eat dinner and somebody went and called your your kid a little redskin. Hey, what's up, little redskin? I mean, how would you feel about that? And then right away, you know, you get the, the backtracking, right? Well, I wouldn't, I, that's not cool. Hell no. None of these mascots are cool. They don't represent who we are. In fact, I would argue that nobody gets to represent who we are any longer. We get to represent ourselves. That's just the way it's got to be. So the best thing that institutions can do for us is allow us to speak for ourselves. Never attempt to speak on our behalf. You want to learn about indigenous people, go ask the local tribe what they're about. Ask them to come talk about who they are. That's the best way you can support us. And like uh, Victoria said, these mascots should have been done away with a long time ago. And the fact that we're even still talking about this today is absurd. It's crazy. Anyway, that's the podcast for today. I hope you learned a little something about it. Um, 
I, um, you know, really, uh, enjoy talking about these issues as you can see, and I can ramble on more and more, but I'm going to go ahead and call it quits. If you like the episode, uh, definitely, um, share it with your friends and family members. Also one last thing, um, I will be going up to the Bay area on May 2nd to the indigenous red market. Check it out. The indigenous red market up in the Bay area. Um, it's May 2nd. It's from 11 o'clock to five o'clock. So if anybody wants to go with me, hit me up on Instagram. I'll put uh, my Instagram in the show notes, indigenous red market, May 2nd up in the Bay area. Um, it's probably about a two and a half hour drive, maybe a little longer, two and a half, three hour drive. But if you want to go with me, um, hit me up and I'll let you know when I'm, when I'm going to be up there, um, be some indigenous, uh, vendors, eat some indigenous food, There'll be some singing, some dancing, doing what we do as Native people. I'm super excited because you know, it just feels good to get out a little bit and be able to be around our culture and to um, share some time together, right, in person. I'm tired of this Zoom stuff. So anyway, Zoom is all right. Zoom is cool. But, you know, I'd rather be out there talking to people in person. So if you want to go with me May 2nd, uh, hit me up. Or you can just go, go up there. If you see me up there, just uh, say, hey, what's up? And um, we'll uh, enjoy some indigenous culture together. All right. So I'm going to leave you with uh, Mikey B's song here. Uh, my man, Mikey B, again, thank you for everything, my brother. Um, man, beautiful singer. Man, isn't that beautiful? Indians don't chant, we sing. 